I'm Linda Van Falkenberg. And I'm Ron Gore. And, and you're listening, listening to, to the, the Co Parent Academy, Academy Podcast. Podcast. So let's move on to talking, if it's okay, uh, to talking about preparing the child. So how would you prepare a child? And let's, again, we're assuming that you have the ability to do so because you may not be in the case yet. So let's say in a perfect world, you had the ability to just have a conversation with the child about the visitation that's about to occur for the first time. What kinds of things would y'all talk about? Well, coming from the therapist's perspective, but I think these are things that if the supervisor is well-prepared and has some experience, they could do as well. Mainly hearing what their concerns or even fears might be if there has been physical or sexual abuse. And really feeling like somebody gets it, you know? Not just, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. you got to see this person, you know, that kind of thing. So not trying to guilt trip the child into feeling a different way about it, which I have heard kids have experienced. And then what are they going to need? What are you offering them? For example, letting them know that they do not have to, especially the first type or two that they see that parent, they do not have to respond physically in any way. And not until they really do feel it at some point, and then just as much as they feel it, uh, you know, a little sideways hug kind of a thing, and, and anything that, you know, there are lots of types of things that they could, if they're going to initiate. And then a safety kind of word, you know, what's going to be our safe word or phrase or, you know, something you know, like if you're going to be at a restaurant, you know, use use the term red dressing or something, something that tends to match the mm-hmm. setting so that the kid can say it without the parent realizing that's what they're that's what they're doing. Another excellent point. I was taking a taking the opportunity to write that down for myself as a note. <laughs> so that, that was a delay. Sorry. Well, about that. And, and then if they I had one little girl that that was really hers and, and she said, but I used it three times more insistently each time. And the supervisor still didn't remember that was my word. And she didn't take me away to talk to her about it. Yeah. So. And you know, that's so interesting because how many times can you say platypus? try fitting that into the conversation right so it needs to be one that fits but also the supervisors just got a click for him yes that's that's a tough one well and i'm sure they've got lots of kids they're doing this with and lots of different safe words let's hope let's hope lots of different safe words and and that they're doing that okay so that's so you'd prepare the child um Let's talk about preparing the abuser parent. And I'll start with this one. Uh, so from my perspective, what I would be telling the abuser parent is, um, look, this is supervised visitation. It's happening. Get over it. It's going to happen. 
you're going to see your kid, which is fantastic. I know it's not in the way that you want. And very often the person is even offended that it's brought up that they have to have professionally supervised visitation. Um, and so almost every time I would say, and so what I typically tell them is look, man, I'm on your side or ma'am, you know, look lady, I'm on your side, but you need to get over yourself. Like this is not what you want at the moment, but you want it more than not seeing your children at all. And if you don't see your children, then you're going to wind up having a much more expensive process later down the road that will still involve professionally supervised visitation. It'll just be after a more expensive process of reconciliation because you haven't seen the children in forever. And then also, right. you know, if you abuser, alleged abuser parent is telling me that everything's a lie and that you never committed the abuse, then by refusing to do professionally supervised visitation, you're giving the children the opportunity to be alone with no contact with you, with the parent who's lying about you, to just let them continue to inculcate the children with this concept that you're an abuser. That doesn't seem smart either. Right. So you. That's a really good point. And also I said, oh, yes, without saying, oh, yeah, thank you. No. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. It was wonderful. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) And then also, um, I tell them, hey, if you're good and natural with the children, if you guys have a great relationship and there's nothing to be concerned about, then you're going to have nothing but glowing reports. And you're going to be able to show that you follow the rules, you respect the rules, you can control yourself. And the court needs to know that you're someone that the court can trust. Refusing visitation tells the court, I can't trust this person. Accepting professionally supervised visitation exactly. shows the court how you did and that you can be a partner in the process of restoring your relationship with the children. So the only downside is cash. And typically what I tell them is, you know, if we've had this conversation for 30 minutes, you could have paid for four or five supervised visits with your children. So we can talk about this. <laughs> I've told them that yeah, before. We can too, talk about this a lot. That I've tried to work. Right. I, I get it from them when I'm transitioning them from, and sometimes it's in the order that it will happen anyway, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't think you still get it because if I might say they haven't had any right. therapy. And so <laughs> back to how we started out. No, Ooh. I, I, I see your protest. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we still don't really get it. Or you have somehow re-disturbed, if not hurt the child in front of me. So I think we need another perhaps level of supervision, but still supervision. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, at least you could probably get two or three supervised visits with this child without me for for one of my hours with you. Exactly. So in that start of the conversation about preparing the abuser parent was about an abuser parent who is hesitant or objects to the supervision. So let's say that we've gotten that person over that hurdle or they were never there. They were always fine with doing the supervision, whether or not they believe they were abusive. They were like, I get it. This is what's going to happen. I'm down. Let's just do it. Then. Well, some of them are just glad to head in the right, right direction. Exactly. Then I'm saying to my client who is under supervision, uh, hey, here's the deal. So you have this person who is going to be in between you and your kids. 
And that's an unnatural thing for a parent. It's going to be unnatural for you no matter how you deal with it. But you can make it, and it's going to be unnatural for your children to an extent too. So you can make it easier on yourself and the kids and even the supervisor by being nice, kind, polite, appropriate, staying within the rules, keep it light. Don't try to buy off the kids by bringing lots of presents because they'll see right through that in a heartbeat, depending on how old they are. Just keep everything light and keep the kids wanting more. Your goal at the end of the visit is to have the kids felt surprisingly comfortable like where they're like, oh my gosh, I thought that was going to be X, but it was Y. I'm, I was so comfortable and wanting to see you again. I love it when I hear that, or I love it when the child says, really? Is it already right. over? You know, I want it right. to continue. You always want to leave them wanting more. And if do everything you can to make the visit easy, comfortable, and they want more, do nothing that makes the visit uncomfortable, uneasy, breaks the rules, or makes the children think, do I have to do this again? Very good. All right. So that's the abuser parent. Uh, So, Linda, how would you prepare the custodial parent who is petrified, typically? Oh, that's where sometimes the kind of supervisor or the place of supervision, typically the the custodial parent wants there to be way more structure and a more restricted place than maybe even necessary or than the court has ordered, and especially more than the abusive parent thinks is necessary. So I always say that it typically goes way faster the process does than the custodial parent wants it to be. And it goes way slower than the estranged parent wants it to be. And it's kind of that way with the levels of structure and the types of supervision also. Yeah. What I usually tell the custodial parent is this is happening, you know, no matter what the courts ordered it. And I completely support the notion of having more structured, more locked down visitation to begin with, to make sure that everybody understands the rules, to give some dry run in a more controlled environment so that we see how everybody's going to react. And it's easier to make adjustments uh, in a more controlled environment. But at that point, once those have gone well, it's going to expand. And now you run into the position of overplaying your hand. Because if you're the custodial parent... And you take steps that the court deems to be objectively unreasonable in trying to limit access to the children, then you're going to be getting yourself in trouble with one of the best interest factors, which is the willingness of one parent to foster a relationship with the children with the other parent. And so you have to have some trust in the process. You have the opportunity to let me know if the children come back and there's any issues, then we can address that. But you have to uh, participate in this process in a way that you feel comfortable defending at a trial on custody and visitation at the end. And it's important that that parent does not like 
hang on to the kid and, right. and, you know, act like they're sending them to their right. death, you know, literally, um, they're going to be okay. I think it's going to be all right. You know, that kind of thing. Like we've seen our- um, and I've even seen, I've even seen parents do that, you know, sending their kid in the door to the new classroom at oh, the yeah. first of the school year. You know? yeah. it's like, I promise it's going to yeah, be good. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> what you and I call the long goodbye in our visitation transfer course. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And this sort of, that lends itself to shifting the conversation to what's needed in a report. Uh, because when you get a supervised visitation reports that starts off with the child was crying upon arrival and so was custodial parent. And then within 15 minutes of being with the non-custodial parent, the child was happy. Everything was normal and flowing smoothly. Then the court, or at least I think all professionals read that as, okay, the kid's actually better with the parent than mom or dad indicates where the custodial parent is and they're part of the problem. And I have seen that upon arrival and upon leaving you know, in my office for many years that the child was all worked up at the beginning and was received back by the custodial parent like they had just survived something horrible. So it's uh, what's needed in the report is mainly a who, what, where kind of thing. You know, who was it was their time of arrival? Was somebody late? You know, all those little things, like you said, really matter to the professionals involved. Uh, sometimes even the condition the child arrived in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when I've got a case where every single time the parent in possession of the child gets them on with me late. Late, late, like, you know, halfway through the session, I know we've got a problem. And so it's, you know, those kind of things we're definitely taking documentation on where we're looking for patterns. I just got one recently where I got like a dozen of the reports and uh, it kind of is weaving in the part about what to make of what is reported. And as a person who wasn't there, I want to feel like I was right. kind of there. Yeah, since I've been in that situation so many times, I I want to be able to see it myself. And if there are gaps in there, you know, like I would go through with a highlighter and and put a dot on a place where it's like, what happened for fifteen minutes right. there? <laughs> what was going on there? I like for them to be pretty frequently noted what time it is instead of just all this happened for three hours, you know, sometimes the content doesn't match that amount of time. I mean, I know what it's like to try to entertain kids for that amount of time and uh, not just that much. For sure. I know what it's like to try to entertain me for that much time. It it all has (laughs) to be structured. (laughs) Right. And so it's like, you know, the, it, how much physical contact was there? Did somebody try to guilt trip the child to sit next to them, to hug them, anything like that? Uh, is there spontaneous affection, you know, just verbal or physical? Um, is there a problem with a tone of voice? 
You know, sometimes a parent just sounds defensive the whole time or they sound mad. You know, they're just really flat affect and kind of mad. So reactions back back and forth both ways between the child and the parent. You know, I once again, I want to feel like I was there when I'm reading yeah, and the A few report. things I'll add to that. Um, flexibility or inflexibility in scheduling to begin with. Yes. And also how, if redirection was necessary, why was it necessary? And how did the parent respond to the redirection? Very good. And redirection that the parent may need to do with the child. And how does the child receive that? You know, does the parent just make the supervisor the actual parent, you know, and have have them do all the any kind of structural negative perceived thing by the child, or does the parent step in and do some appropriate boundary setting as needed in a loving way? Yep. And depending on the level of supervision, uh, is the parent who's doing the visiting, and depending on the length of the visit, are they bringing snacks that would be appropriate? Are they bringing uh, age appropriate activities to do? You know, the more that a parent can show that they have the ability to do that, it's a proxy for their general ability to understand the needs of the children and to parent once they're out of supervision. And don't underestimate the power of the yeah. snacks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because one of the best I've ever seen was a mother with teenagers who I would have thought going in, we're going to hate the whole process. And she brought each time a favorite dessert mm. that she could make. And because of the time would have been right after they had already had a meal anyway. And so she was bringing dessert each time. Oh my goodness. It was, it was just like, it turned into, you know, like Christmas morning around the dining room table with them every time they, they loved what she brought. They they talked about you know what they were reading. Believe it or not, those two teenagers were readers. Uh, you know, and and mom would go, "I'm going to get whatever book you're reading. We can talk." So it turned into like a book club every time. You know, it it really can be one of the things that helps you kind of rebond. It helps kids go, "Oh yeah." We used to do this together, and I really appreciate experiencing this again. Very good. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to leave questions, comments, or concerns, please email podcast at coparentacademy.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.